Yep, uh, that's that's my little girl, and we were, and and yes, and last Sunday was was so fun, and just to see her do that, and uh, um, yeah, I mean it was cool, and and you know I got to do kind of the happy dance, and and while while, while I was watching her, so it was great, um, but uh, so literally uh, I, I knew I was going to be speaking this Sunday, and as I'm watching. Uh, uh, her do this. I mean, I, I've been praying all week. I mean, God, what would you have me sharing? Didn't have anything, didn't have anything. And so literally as she's doing this and as she's riding this bike without training wheels, I really just felt the whisper of God just come and say, Drew, I want you to speak on that. And, uh, and of course, Drew being Drew, I was like, God, how can I, you know, you know how, can, how, how does a little girl riding a bike have anything to do with what people are going through? And I really felt the whisper of God just kind of just share with me that there were going to be people here today who are either going through or you're about to go through a moment where you have to do life and you have situations that come up in your life that you're going to have to do it without the training wheels. And maybe you're going through that now. Maybe it's coming up. I don't know. But I really just felt God just in that moment just begin to share with me just some things to share with you today because when we talk about riding without the training wheels, we have to understand that first and foremost, as humans, uh, we, love, uh, we love comfort. We love safety. Uh, we love to do things that have minimal risks. We love routine. We love to know what we're going to do tomorrow, next week, uh, the, the, the month after, or even for the year. Uh, surprises, even, though, even for the people who maybe talk, talk about it a lot, uh, surprises in life we don't typically like. Um, things in life that happen suddenly uh, tend to kind of jar and shake us because we love to have our own little bubble and our own little world about how things are going are gonna to go. And if they don't go that way, depending on what kind of maybe spiritual maturity we have, it can be devastating at times. And I don't know why, but today there are people here that God's going to be saying to you that you're coming up on some moments where the training wheels are going to be taken off. And it's going to be unsafe. It's not going to be something that you would normally do. It's not going to be something that you would normally wake up and say, I choose to do this or this moment. I enjoy it. It may not be something that's comfortable. It's going to stretch you. You're going to do things that maybe you've never done before. And not because I said it, but because God himself is leading you to these areas and to these moments. A couple of years ago, uh, Pastor John preached an incredible message in this house. It was called uh, The Beauty of Transition. I remember it very clearly. It was an incredible message, and I remember hearing that. And a lot of the same themes uh, that you're going to hear kind of today, really just about how God will take you through transitional moments that you walk through and that you didn't plan on, but yet God has for, for your growth and his glory. Because we can't sit there and, and read a verse like 2 Peter 3.8, which talks about let us grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because if we were to choose it, if we were to choose the growth method, it would be the most easiest and the most comfortable. We would want God to snap his fingers and we would just grow. But God has other plans. God has other ideas about how we grow. And oftentimes as Christians, we grow through some of the most stretching and hardest times. The difference between a transitional moment and a God taking off the training wheel moment is this. Oftentimes with transitional moments and transitional seasons, you don't have a choice but to go through it. But with a training wheel moment and God takes those training wheels off, you have a choice. 
And I really believe today that God wants me to say something to you and preach about this so that you don't miss your training wheel moment. I believe God has something incredible for you today. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to paint this in broad strokes and let you fill in the blanks as, as far as how it, how it applies to your life. But I believe and my hope is that today people would leave encouraged, knowing that even though the road that they have that's ahead of them and the moments that they have ahead of them are not easy, that God's with you. And that just like my little girl had that moment of riding down that hill, no training wheels, because she could do it. That's going to be you today. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. God, I ask that um, you would speak through us. God, speak through me, Father. God, allow your words, God, just to carry weight today. I pray that the people that came in here with those moments in their heart, that they would leave going, I heard the voice of the Lord, and it's time for me to step into my moment. And I thank you for that, God, in your name. Amen. So to start off, when God takes the training wheels off, a choice is always given. When God takes the training wheels off, a choice is always given. I remember the moments leading up to Madison riding that bike with no training wheels. She really wanted to do it, but then when it kind of came time, the, the day of, because I've been telling her for about a week, I, I, I told her, I said, Maddie, baby, I'm going to go get the bike. We're going to go, uh, and, and I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you how to do it, because this bike was a Christmas gift from her. So I said, well, I'm going to teach you how to do it. And she goes, and all week long, she goes, great, Daddy, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. But then the day of, she started getting kind of cold feet a little bit. It was like, Daddy, I don't know. Daddy, I'm not sure I want to do this. I was literally in the middle of doing a small group leaders luncheon, and she just happened to be there, hadn't said two words the entire time. And in the middle of me talking about small groups, all of a sudden she just speaks up and goes, Daddy, I'm not so sure I want to, I want to ride the bike today. And I'm like, okay, baby, I got, to, I got to work on this. And she goes, Daddy, I really don't want to. I'm like, we'll talk about this later, right? I'm like, okay, but just let me focus on this, right? But we'll talk later. But you know, but then when we came down to it, and I had her bike, and she was like, Daddy, I just don't know. And I knew in that moment that I couldn't force her to do it. I couldn't. That was her moment. Because if I forced her to do it, she would spend the entire time afraid of my opinion and not doing it because she wanted to. Even though I knew that was her moment, even though I knew it was going to be a big day for her, I had to give her the choice to do it as a father because if I did not, I'd ruin her moment and I'd ruin her day. And some of you, you're running up against some incredibly big choices that you have to make in the next couple of days, weeks, or months, and you have to understand first and foremost is that God's going to take the training wheels off, but he's going to give you the choice whether or not you want to ride the bike or not. Because when it comes to even, even simple things or great things, such as maybe starting a new business, going back to school or finishing school, moving to a new place to start a new venture, taking that new job, doing that thing that you never thought you'd do, being the first person in your family to fill in the blank. Whatever that is, you have to understand that God's not going to force you to do it. He's going to present you with a moment. He's going to give you support, encouragement, love, all those things. But he can't force you. It's up to you whether to say yes or no. 
I think about some of the characters in the Bible, and you realize that every single character in the Bible was given a choice when God approached them. Some even said no. Jonah said no. God approached Jonah and said, hey, Jonah, I want you to go preach in a place that is unsafe, that has a lot of risks that you've never done before. And he said, I'll see you later. Gone. And some of you would say, yeah, Drew, I know you say that God gives choices, but he also kind of sent a whale to kind of change Jonah's mind. Yes, true. Can I tell you how I interpret that moment? It wasn't God forcing Jonah. God could have sent any prophet to Nineveh, any prophet. I'm thankful for a God that at least gives me opportunities and others opportunities to stop and think about what we're doing before we do the thing that we'll regret. God loved Jonah enough to send a whale to make him have three days so that way for the rest of his life he wouldn't in his mind be that person who said, God, who, who said no to God. Who is it in here you're faced with a choice. Yes, you could say yes. Yes, you could say no. But you know that saying no, even though it may provide temporary comfort, you'll go to bed for the rest of your life because you said no to that decision and you'll have regrets. There's nothing worse than to meet someone who has regrets. There's nothing worse than to meet someone and you know that in their, in their heart of hearts they compromised and, do, and didn't do the thing that they were supposed to do. Do you know someone like that? I've, I've met them. I'm not perfect by any means. I don't, I don't have regrets, though. It's funny because um, I'm in an interesting phase in my life because Kim and I, when I met my wife, and I grew, I grew up in Macon all my life, grew up in middle Georgia, and, and when I met my wife, uh, and, and I moved up to be, uh, for her and I to get married in the summer of 2005. I left behind a lot of friends, uh, people that I knew and grew up with and everything else to move up with her. And at the time, there wasn't social media, so I couldn't keep up with my friends. So eight years later, Kim and I moved back down, and there was all these friends that, that I knew, and I, I knew them as young, you know, early 20s, with tons of potential, tons of dreams for their lives, tons of things that they were going to do and make happen for their lives. And then there's this big gap where I didn't see all the in-between stuff, and I see them now. Some of them have gone on to do incredible things. Some of them, you could tell, just didn't do it. And not that they just came out and said outright, no, I'm not going to walk in my moment, but you can tell that they justified and made excuses and compromised, and I look at them now, and their countenance is not the same. People who do not walk in their God-given moments, even when the training wheels are taken off and it's hard and scary, their countenance isn't the same. Who is it in here? You need to make the choice. It all comes down to a choice because God isn't going to force you. Some of you are waiting for this huge moment to where you maybe you walk down and God just comes in and speaks, do it now. And he's not going to do that. He's not going to give you that just incredibly big moment. You know what you're supposed to do. It's up to you whether you're going to do it or not. Yes or no, make the choice. When God takes the training wheels off. We must fight fear of failure. 
When God takes the training wheels off, we must fight fear of failure. My little girl was excited about riding with the training wheels off, but the week leading up to it, if she asked me one time, she asked me a thousand, Daddy, what happens if I fall? What happens if I try it and I fall and I skint my knees up? What happens if I flip over? What happens if I don't like it? What happens if I can't get it? What happens if I trip? What happens if it hurts? All these things, all these fears started coming up in her. And even to the moment that we almost were about to get on the bike, she's asking me, Daddy, I'm scared. What's going to happen? Daddy, the, the, you know, uh, uh, th this is a big bike. I'm struggling to get on it. How am I going to do this, right? All these fears started coming up. And she had a choice. The thing she had to fight was fear. Some of us in here, you know what your God-given moment is, and you know what you're supposed to be doing, and the biggest thing that's standing between you and actually doing it is all the unknowns that come to you that cause fear. And I wish I could tell you that those are just going to go away. Sometimes, though, you just got to fight through them. You've got to look at everything and say, you know what, despite what I see, despite what I feel, I'm still going to make the choice. The most commonly used phrase in your Word of God, in your Bible, the most commonly used is do not be afraid. It's either that or it's some sort of variation from it. It's either do not be afraid, do not fear, don't fear, be of good courage, which is the opposite of don't be afraid, right? Some form of variation of that phrase is used over 300 times in your Bible. It's the most commonly used phrase in the Bible. It's because God knows how we're wired as people. God knows that our tendency when we begin to do something new, something that's uh, maybe a change, something that's going to take us a little bit out of our comfort zone, is that we're going to sit there and find all the things of reasons why we can't do it, and then all of a sudden we're going to get afraid. And he has written over and over from Genesis to Exodus, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, even all the way into the Revelation, he is up screaming through these pages going, do not be afraid. And we have a choice to make, another choice. We either listen to what God says about our lives and what he says we can do, or we don't. And we let fear control us. It's your choice. Some of us, we get so paralyzed with this fear of failure. Can I be honest with you? I wish that I could tell you up here that that thing that God's calling you and leading you to do, I wish I could tell you that there's a 100% certainty that you won't fail. I'd be lying. When Madison asked me, Daddy, what happens if I fall? Daddy, will I fall? I had to look at her and say, baby, you might. But you know what you're going to do? You're going to get up again because daddy's going to be right there with you and I'm not going to leave you. Some of you need to understand and need to just need to hold on and grasp to the fact that your father, your heavenly father is not going to leave you. You may fall. You may stumble. You may try something and it not work. You may make an attempt and it fail. But sometimes I would rather fail and go to bed at night and be able to talk to my God with integrity and say, God, I was obedient and I tried. Than to have never tried at all. Sometimes what I've learned 
is that I'll, I'll do things and fail, and God, he'll, he'll ask me to do it, not because I can see temporary just results that, or immediate results that happen, but just so that he can say, you know what, Drew, something changed inside of you, though. Because there's something to be said that even when you fight your fear and you overcome it and you make the decision that even if it doesn't go through like you planned, there's something that changes inside of you because, you, because all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I'm not so scared anymore. I'm not so afraid anymore. Whatever, whatever lies are coming to me, I'm going to deal with it because I made the choice. Some of us, you and me, we're constantly flooded with reasons as why to not to do something. Sometimes we'll start talking to ourselves and say, well, I, I've tried it, but something may go wrong. Something's going to get messed up. But Drew, you don't understand my family, right? My family's always been this way or has done this, and so I'm going to be this way too. Or Drew, you don't understand my entire life I've been this way. I can't change. You've got a choice once again to either believe the word of God and believe what he says to fight through that fear or not. Every single time you put your hand to a task, you may not be successful, but something changes inside of you. Peter, when he was in the boat with the disciples, and all of a sudden the winds and the waves were howling, and he sees Jesus walk on the water coming to him. And he calls out to Jesus Christ, and he says, hey, if that's you, tell me to come. Tell me that I can walk on the water just like you do. Jesus said, come on. Peter starts walking on the water in the story, takes a couple of steps doing good, looks around, and all of a sudden starts to get a little nervous, and he fell. Jesus caught him puts him back in the boat. Some would look at that story and say, wow, look at that failure. Maybe some of those disciples in that boat looked at Peter when he got in and started laughing at him and said, man, what a failure. I wouldn't see it that way. I believe Peter was, ever, was forever changed by that encounter because even though in the end it didn't get the result that he wanted, he's the only other human than, other than Jesus Christ who actually took at least a couple steps on the water. And oh, by the way, it's amazing how that boldness that developed inside of him, it's amazing how when, if you fast forward to the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost comes, and all these people start to, get, start, start to gather around the disciples and say, what happened? Isn't it amazing the first person who stood up in that moment and said, you know what? This is me. This is my moment. Preached a sermon. 3,000 people came, came into the kingdom that day. You've got to understand is that the thing that you are doing and that you're stepping out on, that may not be the real big thing. What happens inside of you is what matters. For Madison, riding the bike, for, for me, from my perspective, riding the bike wasn't the thing. That was a secondary thing. The big thing was that I saw my girl develop skills such as overcoming fear such as being willing to take a risk, such as being willing to be bold, such as being willing to do the things that maybe are uncomfortable, but you're going to do it with a good attitude. Those are the things that mattered whether she rode the bike or not. 
She could have gotten up there and fallen over and over and over and over again, but I would have deemed that day a success because she learned some skills that are, that are going to help her later on in life. Because this isn't going to be the first time that she's going to have to face a situation where she's going to have to take a risk, where she's going to have to try something new, where she's going to have to get out of what makes her comfortable. And she was willing to do that that day. That's a skill that will last her a lifetime. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, I can't guarantee you with, a, with 100% success that it will be successful, but I can guarantee that God will work something out in you to where you will gain a skill, you will gain an attitude, you will gain something that will carry you through the rest of your life if you are willing to do it and stop listening to fear. I never will forget God taught me this message very early on about fear and failure and worrying about success and all that stuff. I never forget, I was maybe 19, interning here at the church, right? And I got asked, somebody made a call and got asked to preach my first ever youth revival. Woo. I was so pumped. I was like, man, you know, I'm going to preach at a youth revival. It was up in North Carolina. Didn't even know who the people were, but they had heard about Christ Chapel and heard about some of the youth that was going on and, uh, and, and called up and said, hey, do you have someone that can come speak for our youth revival? I'll go. You got it. Let's do this. So I go up to North Carolina, bring some buddies of mine with me, right, because they're going to be my worship band, you know, and I've got visions of how this is going to go. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be thousands of teenagers, right? I'm going to get up there and all I'm going to say is, Jesus loves you, drop the mic, walk away, and everybody just floods the altar. I want to know Jesus because of Drew, right? It was going to be the most incredible thing ever, right? We travel about 10 hours to get up there. Old country church. Wow, old country church. Was there before Jesus was alive. Really, it was old. I walk in, got my notes ready. I'm ready to go. I'm prayed up, right? All that good stuff. I walk in. And because we're running a little bit late just because it was 10 hours to get there. And I walk in about 10 minutes before they start. So I'm like, man, all the teenagers are going to be outside. I'm going to mingle with them. You know, hey, all that stuff, right? Not tell them who I was, you know, so I'm just, I'm just going to be cool with them. So that way when I do get up, they're like, wow, that guy was talking to me earlier. He's preaching tonight. Woo. Right? I was going to do all those things. I walk in the front door. Well, I, I pull up. There's no teenagers hanging outside. I'm like, cool, they're all inside. Maybe, maybe they're praying, getting ready for worship or whatever, right? Walk in the church. There's no teens. No teenagers at all. There's about five adults. And I walk in, and the pastor greets me while the band's setting up, and he goes, yeah, um, there's no teens here tonight. And he goes, we actually don't have any teenagers at the church. We actually put together this youth revival because we actually wanted to try to start attracting some teens, and it didn't work. I just remember looking at the guy going, are you serious? You, you for real, man? And he goes, yeah. He goes, but you're still more than welcome to go preach anyway. And I'm like, I might as well. So I had to kind of go into a little corner because I had to change all my notes because I had all like, I, had, I wrote a message for teenagers, had all these pop culture references tied back into Jesus Christ and all that stuff, right? And I'm like, these people don't even know who these people are. So I had to change it all, right? And all that stuff, right? I mean, because I mean, yeah. And there was a part of me I was disappointed because I was like, God, why'd you bring me out here for failure? And all this fear started coming back. And I'm like, people are going to laugh at me. God, you're laughing at me right now. I'm a big joke, right? And all this stuff started coming in. We get to the end of the service. Again, five people there, five. 
including Jesus, and, 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 and I mean, just, yeah. I remember like it was yesterday. And I, I preached my sermon, and I forget what it was or whatever, but uh, the main details were God, live, live your dreams, God's got a dream in you type thing, right? And uh, very similar to what I'm preaching now. Um, uh, and uh, at the end of it, you know, I didn't, I, it was five people. I didn't do an altar call. I was just like, so I got done preaching. I was like, and we're done. Yay. Right? I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I didn't know how to, I, I just didn't. Uh, and uh, so all of a sudden, this uh, lady who had been sitting on the back row, middle age, maybe 40s, back row, starts slowly making her way toward me with tears just streaming down her face, crying, uncontrollably sobbing, crying. And she comes to me, she goes, I need to talk to you. Sure. She says, I know there's no teenagers here tonight, and I know that you came here to preach to teens. She said, but your story, and when your message it was for me tonight, you, you traveled up here for me tonight. She said, because uh, I'm the owner of the only bowling alley in town. And God's been laying on my heart that I'm supposed to open up my bowling alley on Friday nights for teenagers to come, and, then I, and, and I'm going to give them free bowling, and afterwards we're going to share the gospel with them. God's been laying that on my heart, and tonight, through your message, you confirmed it. And so I'm going to go back and make that happen. And then she hugged me and walked away. And it was in that moment that God redefined what success was for me, what failure was for me, how to look for success, how to look for failure. Because I realized in that moment that my job wasn't to be successful. My job was to be obedient and let God work out the rest. I spent a lot of time on this one little point because I just felt God hammered into me for someone here. For those of you who are fearful of failure, your job isn't to be successful. Success isn't guaranteed. But I promise you, if you're obedient, somewhere along the line, good things will happen, and you'll see the result of it. I promise you. When God takes the training wheels off, what is familiar usually, usually becomes <clears throat> unavailable. When God takes the training wheels off, what usually... Uh, what is familiar usually becomes unavailable. So once Maddie made the decision, I didn't force her. Once she makes the decision, Daddy, let's do this, right? She kind of gets the eye of the tiger, and she's ready to go, right? At that moment, I told her, I said, okay, baby, we're going to do this, but I need you to know something. We're going to really do this. We're not riding our scooter today. We're not riding uh, uh, all the little other, uh, we're not riding any of Davis's, you know, little bikes or whatever. We're not doing any of that because we're going to do this. And let me tell you the reason as a father why I did that. Was I trying to be mean and tell her, no, you can never ride a scooter? Not at all. No, 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 no. I know that those things were familiar to her. And if the task of riding a bike without training wheels got difficult, she'd want to go back to those. I didn't want there to be an option that if she fell for the first time and daddy's running there with her to pick her up saying, come on, baby, let's, let me brush you off. Let's do this again. I didn't want her to go, you know, I, didn't, I didn't want her to say, daddy, can, can, can I do something else? Again, not that I'm forcing her to do this or whatever. Please don't, please don't take me the wrong way. But sometimes, and what I've found, is that when God asks you to do something, the things that become familiar to you tend to kind of get moved out of the way. 
Jesus Christ told his disciples, the last thing he told his disciples right before, right before he ascended into heaven, he told them, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And that sounds like, cool, hey, he's telling them to go preach the gospel. But that was a layered statement, what he said. What he literally said with each area that they were to go to is that, they were to, they, that, that, that the comforts and familiarity, they were to leave it more and more behind. Because Jerusalem was easy for them. There were people that they knew. There was other Jews who believed just like they did. There were all these other factors. There were temples and marketplaces and restaurants and families that they knew. So Jerusalem was very familiar for them. Not a problem to be a witness for Jesus Christ when it's familiar. No problem at all. Judea, okay, we're getting a little bit out there because Judea was a Roman province, right? Um, uh, that, was, uh, that was still in, in, inhabited and populated by Jews. So even though the Romans were there and their influence were there, it's still people kind of that we know. It's still people that we're comfortable with. It's a little bit outside of, of, of what we know as familiar, but we're still good. Now Samaria, uh-oh. He asked us to go to Samaria and talk to the Samaritans. That's not good. That's way out of what's familiar because the Samaritans, if you rewind uh, some seven to nine hundred years before that, uh, when Assyria actually conquered, uh, conquered Israel and they led all the Israelites out in chains. Every, every Israelite was taken from their homeland uh, back to the Assyrian capital in chains except for a couple of Israelites, a couple of Jews that were allowed to remain in their homeland under Assyrian captivity and, and under Assyrian um, uh, 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 bondage, or whatever you want to call that. And those Jews, those Israel's, Israelites who, who, who remained, they ended up marrying the Assyrians, starting families with them, uh, actually adopted their culture, and became Sumerians. That's how they, that's how they came. So a couple, uh, so a couple uh, a hundred years after that, when the Israelites came back to Jerusalem, here were these people that had been living a good life with the enemy while everybody else was up in chains. So that really didn't go well when it came time to, hey, we're back in our homeland. That's why you see over and over and over again in the Bible issues between Jews and Samaritans because the Samaritans, to put it in a nice term, were viewed as sellouts. While we were up in chains, you were living it up with the enemy. And for Jesus Christ to tell them, after you go to Judea, you're going to go to your enemy's land and love on them and witness for me? Wow. Now we're really talking about something that's not familiar. But then even past that to the ends of the earth, Jesus Christ, for, the, for him to, to tell his disciples, you're going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth to be my witnesses. That was a progressively harder statement every location he said. But he knew something. He goes, he knew something about them, and he said, I, the path I have for you, the things that are familiar, you're going to increasingly have to give up. I found, and I'm not perfect with this by any means, but I found that the longer I walk with Christ and the longer that he allows me to do whatever it is that he asked me to do, the more familiar things I have to give up. And I like stability. If you ask my wife, what's one thing about Drew? You know, if you ask her, does Drew really like routine and stability? She would say yes, a lot. And God asked me to give it up. God asked me to move up to marry Kim. 
Then God asked me to start, start working at Best Buy. Once I get comfortable with that, then it's going to be a teacher. Once I get comfortable with that, that's going to be my life. Hey, take your wife and family and move back down to Macon. And I don't even know what the next steps are. But what I do know is that the reason why God asked me to give up things that are familiar is because he wants me to, to learn to rely more on him and who he is than the things that I hold on to. And I don't know who this is for, but one of your fears of walking with God and saying yes to the thing he's asking you to do is that you know in your heart of heart, in your heart of hearts that you're going to have to give up some things that are very familiar to you. And I can't tell you to do those things. Only God can. But it's worth it. I remember the day that I had to um, give up the thing that was familiar. I, I, I said I was, a, um, I was a teacher and I taught second grade. And when I went on, you would have asked, uh, uh, if you would have asked me, I would have told you then in that moment, I would have said, yeah, I'm going to teach second grade, probably volunteer, um, just as a, a doing youth work. Uh, and I'll do that for the rest of my life. I'm good. Very good. And then uh, this opportunity came down here uh, for me to youth pastor here. Didn't see it coming. Uh, and for the first semester, I commuted. Uh, just because I still was under contract with Gwinnett County. Didn't want to break that. So I commuted. And then there came a time about in March um, that uh, I had to go and tell my principal what was going on. Because I'll be honest, January, February, and March, until I had to make that decision, uh, I really, um, I was just kind of checking this out. I knew God had led me here, but I was going to make sure it was a good thing. But then there came that moment that I, I had to go tell my principal, because they were about to extend contracts, I had to tell my principal that I wouldn't be coming back. And that was tough. I remember my wife and I talking about this at length, going, you sure you want to have this conversation, Drew? You sure? Because once you, once you have the conversation, the thing that's familiar to you, you can't go back to. You can't. And I, I even remember sitting down. I, I talked to my principal on a Thursday. I sat down with Pastor John on a Wednesday night after youth, and I said, um, I'm about to go and talk to my principal tomorrow. I just want to make sure that you like me. And I hope you do. Because if not, I need to know before I go talk to my principal. And he goes, yeah, I feel like this is the Lord's will and everything else. I'm like, great, thank you. But I had to make that call. I had to leave what was, com what was uh, comfortable. And it's so funny because the th what I was walking down to, it, you, you see Echo now. And again, we're not perfect by any means. No, we're not. We've got so many holes in our game that we're working on and everything else. I get that. But you see the things that we do, such as beach camp, and, and we're about to record a, 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 I don't know if I can announce that. Never mind. Uh, yet. I don't think that's been announced yet. But we're about to do a lot of cool stuff, right? <laughs> um, yep, we're about to do a lot of cool stuff. Uh, uh, Garrett Beachy probably just ran out of his office going, no, Drew, no, don't announce that. So I won't. Uh, but we do a lot of cool stuff, but those things weren't in place. I mean, literally, it was about 30, 40 teenagers. All I had time to do was just show up and say, hey, love Jesus, and go back home. It wasn't guaranteed. What are you willing to give up? Um, what familiar things are you willing to leave behind? in order for you to accomplish what God's telling you to do. Only a couple more, we're done. When God takes the training wheels off, we must work through our feelings of if he is really there. The, one of the hardest things for Madison when I was teaching her how to ride the bike was the fact that she was willing to do it, but she wanted me to hold on. 
She was going to pedal and wanted me to hold on the entire time. And um, I've already asked Jesus for forgiveness uh, for this, uh, but, I, but I lied to her and told her I would. And uh, I did. Uh, but then what I really would do is once she would start pedaling and coming through um, and, and really start to get going, after about a couple steps, I would just let go. And then all of a sudden she would turn around and say, Daddy, why'd you let go? And then she'd kind of stumble and fall or whatever. Um, but then I would say, but baby, you were doing it. You didn't need my help. You were doing it. So then we, we kind of went over that a couple of times. The video that you saw was probably about her third or fourth time in. And finally just got to the point, I'm like, I, I told her, I said, okay, I'm going to go. And then, and then I kind of started walking with her and holding on to her, and then I just let her go, and then she did it. For her, one of her biggest fears was, Daddy, I have to be able to feel you and know that you're here in order for me to ride this bike. And as a father, I'm going, no, you don't. You don't. You don't need me there. I'm always here. I will never leave you. If you fall, I'm going to be the first person to come and pick you up. But you don't need me right here. But that was hard for her, and it's hard for us because when we take that step of faith, the thing that we want is some sort of tangible proof that God is there with us, and oftentimes he doesn't give that to us. And we go, God, where are you? And he's going, I'm right here. But you can't feel me right now. That is one of the biggest areas of growth in our faith when we go through that. It is. And I think back on times in my life where God has asked me to do something, and I begin to do it, and I know the trading wheels are off, and my expectations are that, God, you're going to be there with me, and I can feel you. And when it doesn't happen like that, sometimes I get really frustrated. Hebrews 13.5, God says this. He, he said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So even if you can't feel him or see him working in a, in a tangible way, never will he leave you, never will he forsake you. If fear starts to come up and you wonder where God is, never will he leave you, never will he forsake you. If you start to do this and all of a sudden you stumble and fall, maybe you make a mistake, never will he leave you, never will he forsake you. If you don't do it exactly how you envisioned it when you started, never will he leave you, never will he forsake you. If it gets harder than what you intended, never will he leave you, never will he forsake you. There's going to come a time where you're going to have to realize that even if I can't feel him, even if I don't know what's going on, even if I don't understand, he will never leave me, never forsake me. And I'm going to hold on to that. And you've got to do the same thing as well. But why? Why would God do that? Why wouldn't God, what's, what's the benefit for that? I'll tell you what God taught me. You know what I was doing after I kind of gave Madison the, the push and didn't help her anymore? You know what I was doing? I wasn't, sitting, I wasn't sitting down doing nothing. I was watching her taking mental snapshots of her doing this so that way I could relive it with her for the rest of her life. Because the very next, th the very next time that she, that she came up to something that was frustrating, that she came up to something that was, uh, that was hard or difficult for her, I was able to take, I'm now able to take her back to that day and say, Maddie, you remember the day you rode the bike? Mm-hmm. You remember how nervous you were at first? Mm-hmm. You remember how maybe it was a little scary to do something new? Mm-hmm. Did you still do it anyway and did it turn out okay? Mm-hmm. Maddie, this is one of those situations for you too. For you in here and for me. You ever had God bring you back 
and tell you what he's brought you from, tell you how he came through, tell you about the times that you had very little faith, but yet he still came through because he was there working, tell you about the time that you thought that you never were going to make it through, and then you made it through, and he says to you, but think about that time. Remember when. Remember when. And for us, we've got to remember when. Even though we don't feel God, he's working. Even if we don't see him in a tangible way, he's working. Ben, if I get you to come on up. When God takes off the training wheels, you got to trust that God has prepared you for this moment. All of Maddie's life has been spent getting her ready for that, for that moment. From, remote, from the time that she started walking from the time that she started uh, running, from the time that she got on a scooter, from the time that she got on her first bike with training wheels, everything had been building up to that moment for her. There was a process involved. If she would have came to me as a two-year-old and said, Daddy, I want to ride a bike without training wheels, I would not have let her do it. But there came a time that I realized she's ready, so let's let her do it. The thing God's asking you to do, whether you realize it or not, you're ready for. Because he's been the one doing the preparing. Maybe you don't realize it. Maybe you don't think that God would lovingly put all the pieces together for that for you, but he will. And he does. I think about the things that, get, that got me ready to be here and to do what I'm doing today. I didn't see all the pieces come together, but he still did it. And now I'm thankful for it. The last thing. When God takes the training wheels off, once you do it, you'll never look back. The beautiful part about that day with my daughter, once she got it, all she needed was just a little push and she would just go for hours in a little figure eight. She got it. And to see her with that smile and with the confidence of saying, I can do this. I can do this. We literally got inside that day of Sunday, and it was supposed to rain on Monday. And she's already asking, Daddy, can we ride the bike tomorrow? My baby's going to rain. She goes, So? Think about how it's going to be for you when you get it. Think about how it's going to be when you begin to ride the bike without the training wheels. Think of the God confidence you're going to have when you see that you can actually do it. Think of, think of how humbling it will be to realize that God entrusted you with that task. And with his help, he didn't let him down. Think of how it'll be when you realize that you can truly trust what your father says. And if he says you can do something, you can do it. You'll never look back. As a Christian, as a husband, as a man, as a father, as a friend, um, 
I've got so many things that I'm still working on. I've got a couple areas in my life that I know God's brought me through and I just don't look back. They're milestones, but they're in my rearview mirror and they should be for you too. In closing, would you stand with me, please? I'm not going to hype you. I'm not going to do anything like that. I'm not going to manipulate you at all. But here's the thing I know. There's some people here today who this message was for you. And you need to make the decision to say yes. The perfect way to make a decision to say yes, believe it or not, is to do it with people watching. They don't have to know what it is. You don't have to tell them. But there's an accountability that happens when you step out in front of a group of people and say, no, this this is for me. So I'm going to ask. I'm going to let Ben play. I'm going to pray first, and I'll let Ben play. And that's your moment. If God's telling you and nudging you for whatever it is to say yes, would you come and seal that commitment to God at the front? Is there anything magical about the front? No, it's just the front of the stage. But there's a significance with you standing before your God and before your peers and saying, this is me today. Father, I pray, God, that decisions will just be made for whatever you're laying on their heart. I've tried my best to keep this broad because, God, I don't want to manipulate people. But, God, for the people who this was there for, and you're taking the training wheels off for them in whatever moment or circumstance. Father God, this is, this is you telling them to. It's going to be scary. It's going to be hard. It's going to be new. But at the same time, God, it's going to be challenging, thrilling, exciting. And more importantly, God, it's going to be worth it. So I pray, God, you would seal on our hearts what you're doing to them now. In your name. Amen. This applies to you. This is for you. way of agreement. If I could get maybe a guy with each guy, stand in agreement and pray for them and a girl with each girl. Don't overpower what they're doing. This is their commitment, but if I could get someone to pray.